Ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Welcome to a New York Catholic conversation. My name is Deacon John Catalano, and I am joined as always by my good friend, my pal from St. Agnes down there in Rockville Center, New York, Frank Alasia. Frank, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Deacon. How's everything? Everything is good. Uh, you know, you mentioned last time that you wanted to revisit the subject of sacred scripture, and I always love talking about the Bible. So how do you want to start us off tonight? Well, I'd just like to say we can never exhaust the word of God. And the deeper we look into the scriptures, the more there is to understand. The reason we don't profit from reading the scriptures is that we only scratch the surface rather than really digging in. So we'll try to do a little of that tonight. Yeah. Now, we read the scripture, of course, to draw closer to God. We believe that sacred scripture, the Bible, is God's revealed word. And in the New Testament, we encounter Jesus Christ. He speaks to us in the Gospels. So it's important for all Catholics to use their Bible, either in formal group study and or for private prayer. And always remember that reading the Bible is itself an act of prayer. Yeah, there's a, the scriptures have both a literal and a spiritual sense. The literal sense is the sense directly intended and expressed by the sacred author. The spiritual sense is the meaning of the thing signified by the words of the literal sense. Yeah. You know, we Catholics have to be aware and pay attention to the unity of the whole Bible, right? The unity of the Old and New Testaments. I mean, the new is hidden in the old. And we've been taught the old is fulfilled and made fully understood in the new, all part of God's plan of salvation. An example of unity would be like the testing of Abraham. Remember when Abraham was willing to give his own son Isaac as the burnt offering? Now, he was spared of that task, but that's a foretelling of how God gave up his only son as a sacrifice to save the world from sin. Right. I think it's important to remember each evangelist had a particular theological aim. And so each arranged the material in his gospel to best accomplish the same. For example, the fathers of the church noticed that Matthew focuses on the mysteries of the incarnation of Christ and his kingship. His audience were mostly the Jewish people of the day. His gospel is the most Jewish of the four. Mark's gospel was aimed at Gentile converts. You know, he was not a direct disciple of Christ, and he learned it really at the knee of St. Peter. Luke, his gospels focused on the mysteries of Christ's passion and his priesthood. He was a companion of Paul, and he tried to promote harmony within the church. You know, the evangelists focused on what they saw as important, because as St. John tells us, if everything Jesus did and said were written down, the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. That is why the different evangelists omit certain things. They are each speaking to a different audience. Yeah, well done. And all four Gospels are unique treasures with different approaches, as you say. But they all illuminate and make known to us the reality of Jesus Christ. And there are often these literary devices that are used to help us understand faith. Remember that Peter had denied that he knew Jesus three times back in the Passion Narratives? Right. And well, at the end of John's gospel, after Easter, Jesus appears to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias one morning, and he confronts Peter three times with the question, Peter, do you love me? And the threefold confession of Peter is meant to counteract his earlier threefold denial. 
And it's interesting that the First Vatican Council cited these particular verses in defining that Jesus, after his resurrection, gave Peter the jurisdiction of supreme shepherd and ruler over the whole flock. Kind of neat. Well said. There there are also no coincidences coincidences in Scripture. Um, Take, for example, example, Luke chapter 8. Jairus said, had an only daughter, uh, a daughter 12 years old, and she was dying. And there was a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. Now, Jairus was a temple official, and he had kept that lady out of the temple for 12 years because she was unclean. She was perceived to be unclean. Right. Well, he enjoyed the company of his daughter for 12 years. So numbers really mean something. And the message that Christ is trying to convey here is that you know, we treat others a certain way, but God treats us a completely different way with mercy. Yeah, you know, Frank, when we were growing up, we did not study the Bible per se. We were taught our religion through the catechism, but we knew right. all the stories in the Bible. I mean, we knew of the Good Samaritan, of the prodigal son, the wedding at Cana. We knew of the Annunciation. But Protestants would say, well, Catholics really don't know their Bible because we couldn't quote chapter and verse. So I'll say two things about that. First, Catholic scholarship of the Bible was really accelerated by Pius XII in the 1950s and then really took off after Vatican II. So we now have three generations of priests and theologians who are fully immersed in Scripture and preaching. And, And the second thing I'd say is it might surprise our Protestant friends to know that we are fully a Bible based church. In that, our liturgies are founded in Scripture. At the Mass, we read from, the, what, the Old Testament or from a New Testament epistle. Then we read or recite a psalm, Old Testament, and then we read the Gospel. And every word we utter at the Mass comes from the Bible. Glory to God in the highest. Lord, have mercy. Do this in remembrance of me and our Father who art in heaven. We are a richly Bible-based church. Yeah, Jesus leaves room for us to either to choose, um, either to reject him in the scriptures he never to choose or reject him in the scriptures he never forces himself on us that's why it's always good to ask the holy spirit to open our minds before we read the parables the parables express these scriptural truths using human analogies which i always like you know very relatable to me jesus did not want his teaching so difficult that only a few could understand them that's what the pharisees wanted they wanted to be the select few who understood them and salvation is, is for everyone. And he brings that out in the parable of the sower of the seed. The sower represents God, of course, who spreads the seed everywhere. This, the, this represents God's message. It's meant for all who hear. He wants salvation for everyone, not for a select few. And that's, a, that's an important uh, hidden meaning there. And the Bible is for everybody. I mean, when we sit and read the Bible ourselves, we pray for God's guidance and for wisdom and understanding. And first we ask, what does the text say? And then what does it say to me? So by praying with Scripture, Lectio Divina, divine reading, we may be better able to hear what God is saying to us here and now. I mean, the writers of sacred Scripture were inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been breathed into them and resides within their words, we believe. And when we approach the Scriptures prayerfully, aided by the same Holy Spirit who dwells in them, reading Scripture becomes an experience of being filled and empowered by God's Spirit, and we are transformed and changed at times. 
you know, and, and in many instances today, you know, texts of scripture are arbitrarily twisted and then given a meaning which they not they don't really bear in scripture itself. We see this all the time today. But even in apostolic times, there were, in quotes, the unlearned and unstable who similarly twisted the scriptures to their own destruction. And you see a lot of that today in, in the health and wealth gospels that are preached by, by teller and televangelists. Don't forget, we have a 2300 year history of which 300 were we had a church, the Catholic Church, before the Bible even even was written. So I think that's important to keep in mind that these doctors of the church were really brilliant in their in their assessment and their interpretation of Scripture. Absolutely. Catholics interpret the Bible within that living tradition of the whole church. And the Holy Spirit has guided the process of interpretation throughout church history through all of the doctors and theologians of the church. So the magisterium retains the ultimate authority of biblical interpretation in case of doubt. And as you said, the church existed before there was a New Testament. I mean, the letters of Paul and the Gospels were circulating uh, before that the canon was uh, pronounced by the Pope. St. Paul was writing to the church in Corinth and the church in Galatia and the church in Rome. Right. So uh, the... the, the uh, the Bible has grown out of the church. Now, the church leaves open debates about things like the date or authorship of a given book or the translation of certain words, but about essential matters of faith and doctrine, no, we look to the church as the ultimate authority. Yeah, and I'll just say in closing, the more you dig into the scriptures, the more you'll get out of them. St. Irenaeus, a doctor of the church, said, Christ is the treasure in the field. The field is the world, and the treasure hid in scriptures is Christ. Amen. And my suggestion is make sure you have a Catholic Bible at home. The New American Bible, I think, is the best. Consider joining a Bible study group in your parish. And don't be afraid. Open it up and start with the Gospels. Read just one chapter at a time at first. Or start with the Gospel of Mark, the shortest of the four Gospels, and you will be on your way. Absolutely. Great. Yes. Folks, don't forget to like us and follow us and send us an email at anycatholicconversation at gmail.com. That's anycatholicconversation at gmail.com. Frank, I love you a lot. I'll talk to you next time, okay? Thanks, Deacon. God bless.